Yes, yes, y'all. Thank you for coming back and listening to us chat a little bit more shit. We are the Fabulous Heel Nerds, and we're going to carry on with our horrible history, brief history of hardcore wrestling series. And um, why fuck about? We'll just uh, get straight into it, I suppose. Yes, let's get into it. All right, mate. So I'm, I'm taking the lead on this one. I did the research and whatnot. So we've quite often started other episodes with you trying to fuck me over by asking stupid questions. I wouldn't say I've been trying to fuck you over necessarily so much as increase your knowledge slightly. Nah, you've been trying to make me look like a mug every time. How dare you? But anyway, well, we'll start with a bit of a question from me. Basically, it's about cage matches. Cage matches? Cage matches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you know when the first ever cage match was? Uh, I imagine the first ever one probably would have been very early on in the genesis of wrestling. Um, just because it probably transcended over from actual fighting um, and people sort of being penned in. But hmm. when the first ever one was, I couldn't say. Maybe Right, well, we're, we're, we're about to go to, after we've done this podcast, we're going to a show. We're going to go watch Future Shock at the yeah. Stockport Town Hall. Uh, yeah. pa- packs on, it should be good. Um, you, I bought the tickets. Um, if you get it to within three years either side... You can buy me just uh, two pints, as opposed to the full price of the ticket. You can buy me two pints. Okay. I mean, this is going to be a win-win. Why is that? So I either pay for my ticket, yeah, or if Which I get this correct, I owe you less than the ticket. Yeah, that's so correct. I'm going to the show anyway. But you go, you are going to the show anyway. But like, how much it's going to cost me? Is this is what? You're... How much it's going to cost you for the ticket? So okay, so but... I've got two years either side. We'll give you three years either three side. Three years either side. Um, I'm going to ignore the fact that now we're on to the 70s in our horrible history. Hardcore well, like I say, our chronology is incredibly loose, mate. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're so... On the, uh, we're on the 60s and 70s. I would say ignore I have a feeling that's a red herring, so I'm going to ignore that. Okay. I'm going to say the first ever cage match was in... 1809. 1809? <laughs> Fucking hell. You are a bit more than three years either side. Oh, really? Yeah. It was in 1937. 1809? I don't know. But you thought it was some kind of here. some kind of gladiator fight. In yeah. Was, you know, that's what I was... That's my trailer thought. Yeah. So no, 1937. Was 1937. Uh, that was between um, Jack Bloomfield and the Count Pedro Rossi. And it was uh, made of chicken wire. This was in Georgia. And I know we don't... They made have... a full cage out of chicken wire. Well, I'm going to show you a picture. I know you'll have to explain what you're looking at, mate. So I'm going to show you a picture and explain what you see. So can you see that? It's a relatively small Here picture. Here we go. Ex- makes ex- fabulous radio. Explain what you see, though. Uh, what I see, okay, for the listeners, is a usual 20 by 20 uh, wrestling ring. In the middle of it, there is a circular, quite tall cage that looks probably more like um, something you'd see in... Uh, it's like an octagon almost, isn't like it? An, yeah, it's like an octagon or 
The um, what's the pay per view WWE put on with the cage and the pods? Elimination chamber. Uh, yeah, it looks it looks similar. Or a small to, one. <laughs> looks like a tiny elimination chamber, kind of. Yeah, it's just a circle base. It's a cir- it's circular and it was made of chicken wire. I'll tell you what. Did you ever see in the late nineties during the Attitude Era? Um, there was a, a gimmick for Ken Shamrock called the Lions Den. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was basically a rip off of an octagon. And it was it was small and it had no ropes and um, he had a cracking match with uh, Owen Hart in one of those and I think it was on fully loaded, okay ninety nine something like that. But yeah, that's what it looks like. But it was made of chicken wire, so um, that's the first ever cage match. First ever cage match in nineteen thirty seven in Georgia between Jack Bloomfield and the Count Pedro Rossi. We've been doing these sort of chronologically, but what I found is is the more research that we put in, we kind of keep skipping backwards and forwards. Yeah, yeah. You, you end you end up jumping back to when certain things happened that were actually of note that you find out about that you didn't realize were so important before yeah this was this is this, well this is kind of me um kind of what, the way it worked for me because i was researching different hardcore wrestlers from different eras obviously we're trying to look at the 60s and 70s kind of now and um i came across a gent who i was ever so slightly familiar with who became well i wouldn't say he went viral but he went viral in the wrestling community in the 30s it, well, not in the 30s, no, no. So it's the person that I'm talking about is, is a wrestler called Gypsy Joe. Have you heard of Gypsy Joe? I've before? heard of Gypsy Joe, yeah. No, where, why, where, where have you heard of Gypsy Joe? Why, where is, why is Gypsy Joe notorious in your lexicon? Uh, Gypsy, jo- Gypsy Joe in sort of my spectrum comes in with sort of that underground redneck uh, sort of backyardy type rinky-dink promotions uh, that you see in sort of Southern America, mm-hmm. uh, in particular when sort of promotions like CCW were on the rise, and he's like become a legend in terms of that sort of very, very hardcore grassroots style, mm-hmm. basically taking light tubes and cinder blocks and barbed wire to practically no one sometimes in the crowd. Right, we, we might be thinking of a different, we, we might be thinking of different people then, mate. Okay. Gypsy Joe, do you not do you remember? I think it was in two thousand and three. We might have heard of it a bit after it happened, but there was an infamous match with Gypsy Joe. He was sixty nine years of age at the time. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Getting now, into yeah. a match with a hardcore match with New Jack. Yep, um, and New Jack fucking went nuts. Yeah, so basically, Joe, being sixty nine years of age at the time, obviously headbutted him quite hard several times. Yeah, and no sold Jack's offense. So he like legit, legitimately battered him half to death with a baseball bat. Yeah, and you chain. can see that. You can see that on YouTube. Like he gets a chain and he's like fucking whipping the guy um, all over this. Yeah. Well, uh, well, well. Gypsy Joe, quite um, a famous wrestler in his own right from this kind of 60s, 70s um, era. And uh, what I found out when doing this research is he was actually reportedly the first person to ever dive off the top of a cage. Oh wow. Was, was Gypsy Joe. We don't have any substantiated dates or anything on that one. It's quite hard to pin down, but rumour has it that uh, Gypsy Joe was the first ever person to dive off a cage. So um, it would have been quite a spectacle. Everybody kind of thought the first one before that was in 1983. It's the match that Mick Foley talks about in um, Have a Nice Day. Yeah, with Jimmy Snooker. Jimmy Snooker and uh, Don Morocco at the Garden. Uh, apparently, this was before that. Apparently, uh, mm. uh, if if anyone can find the dates on that, that'd be great. But I struggled, I struggled somewhat. And uh, Gypsy Joe, tough motherfucker, man. Did you know Gypsy Joe? Uh, in two thousand and seven, I think it was WWE uh, named him as the oldest active wrestler. He was seventy three at the time. 
When he had his uh, very last match in 2011, he was actually 78 years of age. Jesus. Yeah, and then he died like a couple of years later. But yeah, the man wrestled up to the age of 78. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's decades of hardcore wrestling. Yeah, as well. As well. 78 years old. Those hardcore wrestlers, man, the ones that get proper into the uh, the sort of... That's basically the only matches they ever do. They they fucking work for a long time. Mm. Yeah, They've yeah. Got, I think there's something definitely there in someone who likes doing that to themselves, which goes beyond just trying to make a living. I think there's uh, something a little bit. They're trying to, there. you know, satisfy something or yeah, satisfy something possibly within themselves that likes them getting battered and cut up and yeah. do crazy shit for people. Yeah, slightly uh, sadomasochistic yeah. side. So if it, you're trying to say if they weren't involved in, in uh, hardcore wrestling, they'd be like in some sex dungeon somewhere. Quite possibly, yeah. I think <laughs> if you if they're not in hardcore wrestling, they're somewhere screaming a safe word at the top of their lungs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, somebody else who retired, you know, very recently, who, if I, I'll, I'll try and cross-reference the dates properly later, but um, could be argued also, also wrestled up until he's kind of, yeah, it was his early 70s, I think, so we're not quite 78. Uh, so someone going to spotlight quite a lot in this uh, in this podcast. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. a legend in the hardcore world. Mm-hmm. Explain uh, Abdullah the Butcher's gimmick to somebody who may not know what it is. He's a fat man <laughs> uh, who has a true? forehead like it's been put on a fucking cheese grater for like 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses a fork he's kind of like by the way if you can hear a dog in the background that's because we are not at my home studio we're now in Nick's home studio yeah um, so his dogs go nuts uh, so Abdullah the Butcher uh, I don't know he's just like a big fat man who cuts people up he's just a big fat man who cuts people up yeah he's the madman from the Sudan madman from the Sudan so yeah. he wears like one of them kefir things on his head and he wears judo slash karate pants and his idea is he's from the... Probably because they're comfortable. <laughs> yeah, for a, yeah, for a 400 pound man, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's a big, fat, black man um, who... The billion has been from the Sudan. He never he never spoke, really. And he just kind of made wild, wild eyes and stabbed people with a fork. That was his thing. He liked to carry that fork around and, and, and uh, stab people with it. Yeah. Basically. And um, yeah, so uh, he does have those massive, massive, deep scars on his forehead... That apparently he can fit poker chips in. Wow, that was apparently one of his uh, one of his tricks when he was out with the boys. But uh, Abby started wrestling in 1958 at the age of uh, the age of 17. We're going to be referencing quite a lot a uh, wrestling observer shoot interview from 2010. Told us quite a lot about Abdullah and so Abdullah, Abdullah the Butcher came to prominence in what decade? Hey. He started coming to prominence in the 60s. He started wrestling in 1958, as I said, but he started coming to prominence in the in the 60s. Um, he, he never really wrestled as such. I mean, have you seen any of Dollar the Butcher matches before? Yeah, they're just slow blood fests. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't really do any wrestling moves. He just kind of... He does the old thrust to the throat yeah, and then just stabs you with a fork for 20 minutes. Yeah, that's basically it. I've that's never basically. been a huge fan of Abdullah the Butcher. But when it comes to hardcore and bloodletting... He yeah. is most certainly one Are we of gonna the get onto the notorious part, uh, in later in his career with the whole um Hannibal well, controversy. I, I will be I will be mentioning in that we can't bring up Abdullah the Butcher without mentioning, obviously, 
the what happened with um, Hannibal. De- Devin Nicholson is his name, is it? Have Hannibal, Devin Nicholson. Yeah. I'll bring that up later when we're actually gone through his chronology. Boy, are you in for a treat when you hear about Abdullah the Butcher and Hannibal? Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you start, if you start, if you start liking him during my story selling it, you might dislike him after that story. Well, you yeah. will dislike him after that story if you're a good person. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, most of you listening probably know already. But for those that don't, fucking hell, yeah. You're in for a treat. In for a treat. But but basically, it's, it's quite funny. Have you ever watched any of these? Um, it was kind of in the vein, the, uh, the interview that I watched, sorry, it was with Brian Alvarez, mm. who did Figure Four um, figure four Online, Figure Four Weekly, one of the, you know, dirt sheets. You must have watched your, your share of shoot interviews. Oh, it's like an easy pastime. Stick a shoot interview on, sit, yeah. fucking waste a day. Yeah, 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 because this one was like two hours, but like, he comes across... Quite arrogant. He tells some interesting stories, but like a lot of these old school wrestlers really come across as arrogant. I think you know, in in, in a lot. Oh, of just old school wrestlers. It's notorious with wrestlers, aren't they? They're all fucking arrogant arse. <laughs> <laughs> all of them, obviously, but <laughs> not all of them, but petulant a lot of the time as well. Yeah, it's it's hilarious actually. The start the start to this this interview. It's kind of almost like though it's probably got to be worked because obviously Brian Alvarez was a wrestler as well and, and a journalist, and it's it's semi kayfabe almost it's quite it's, it's quite funny he brings his manager with him he says uh, that he's got a, uh, a seventh degree grandmaster black belt apparently in judo and karate and he actually gets out a license at one point it shows it to him because he has to carry a license because his hand have registered as deadly weapons oh my god <laughs> which actually says that he's got a seventh degree black belt in taekwondo even though he says Karate. Karate, yeah. Yeah, so full of shit, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he was originally called Ze- Zealous Amara, was his original title. He started wrestling when he was in his teens. He's from uh, Windsor, Ontario. And obviously he's uh, known mainly for that fork, obviously, which is kind of a hardcore element that we're getting into here. He says in this interview that one day somebody just threw a fork into the ring and he used it ever since. That's the whole story of the fork and Abdullah the Butcher that he's used for 50 years. Someone threw a fork into the ring and he decided to stab somebody with it and As you did do. it ever since, apparently. Wow, so nothing... That's the story behind the fork. No great genius or angles work there. Just he saw a fork, picked it up and was just like, I can stab someone with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But, um, you know, so he gets the Abdullah the Butcher moniker in uh, 1962. Basically, you know, he's been wrestling a few years. He drives all the way from Windsor, Ontario, which is basically right on the uh, east coast of the Canada border, and drives 3,000 miles to Vancouver. Wow. Yeah. Uh, just to do a job, basically, just to lose. Drives 3,000 3, miles just to lose, basically, um, which he, he wasn't happy about, but obviously he's like, he's, early, he's new in the business. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do, what do, I'm told, do what I'm told kind of thing. But he gets the fork out halfway through this match with unidentified wrestler, not mentioned in the interview, and starts uh, starts stabbing him in the head uh, with the fork, as as is his way. And apparently the crowd go absolutely fucking batshit and start throwing shit and, you know, semi-rioting. And on the fly, uh, the promoter, uh, a gentleman called Jack Elliott, runs down and asks him to win, basically. Oh, really? On the fly, tells him to change it and get the pin because he saw the reaction that the stabbing with the fork was getting. Yeah. And hey presto, Abdullah started to become a draw from from here yeah. on out. Basically. It seems that like a lot of the time back in the day, like you know, when you're talking fifties, sixties, these crowd reactions were so um strong 
for a lot of these wrestlers. It's sort of what made it was what made the whole scene at the time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So what's what made wrestling wrestling is the crowd responses being just so strong and so into visceral it. and so yeah, and yeah just, they, they were so so emotionally invested. There was no smart fans back then. No. Really was it? You was either a fan or not a fan, and those people who were fans, yeah, were I think one hundred percent invested in what was happening. There's not many people sitting to around trying to think critically about what they've just seen. So no, were they fuck? No, no, they took it as gospel. That man is stabbing another man with a fork. I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm going to riot. And he was obviously portrayed as this foreign character as well, which obviously was a big thing in American wrestling for forever. Yeah, basically. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, very much so, and um, it got him. It got him over as a heel to the to the moon. Wow! As as the, as they say, um, basically they gave him the name Abdullah because uh, in Vancouver there's a lot of Indians. A lot of an, an Indian. Is Abdullah an Indian name? Abdullah. This is what it said in the interview. Yeah. This isn't my reasoning. Yeah. But there's a lot. There's a strong Indian population in Vancouver and in like Toronto and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So that was that was their reason. Is Abdullah an Indian name? I'll find out. While we'll find you... out. While I'm... Yeah, go on, go on. But that that was uh, that was what Abby said anyway. Uh, Larry Shreve, I should say, is Abdullah's real name. Larry Shreve. Uh, he worked a lot in uh, in Detroit, very close to Windsor, Ontario. Obviously, Detroit. And uh, who ran a a big promotion out of Detroit? Scott, could you tell me? Uh, I couldn't tell you, not off the top of my head. No, the Sheik. The Sheik. The Sheik. Yes, mate. Sorry, you're looking up to whether Abdullah is an Indian name. It's important. It's very important. But yeah, yeah, he worked a lot with um, with with the Sheik uh, out of the Detroit area uh, um, area, who obviously uh, a nutcase in his own. He had his pencil. Uh, Abdullah had his fork. Uh, yeah, he worked a lot with uh, the Sheik and uh, Bobo Brazil. Bobo Brazil, very interesting man. The first ever black man to headline a card. Uh, but it's quite it's quite funny though he, he tells a, he tells a story in this um, in the late fifties when he first went over to Detroit that he um, Bobo Brazil came over to introduce himself and because he wanted to keep his gimmick he actually kind of spouted off some gibberish Arabic to him yeah to get rid of him <laughs> which was quite funny and then he introduced himself to the uh, to the actual sheik and they got along but in this in this um, shoot interview that I keep on referencing. Abdullah is very uh, explicit and he says that he was the one that started hardcore wrestling for real before the Sheik. Sheik not now alive to defend himself or say otherwise. Yeah. But uh, he was very clear about the, um, he says, I started hardcore before the Sheik did. Well, I, I, I used to bust myself open before matches. I used to, he says, I used to smash my head on the uh, iron bolts in the corners of the ring posts and make myself bleed before it. I used to uh, use broken beer bottles and uh, eat glass and hit people with nails. I was the first person to ever do it, Abdullah says. Um, that's, I think that's neither here nor there. You can... You can... He was very... He, was, he kind of took pride and or arrogance yeah. in the fact that he was saying... It was me that was first. It was me. There's kind of a lack of humility with that, isn't there? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's can, probably what it is, yeah. You can probably pinpoint a few different people who were doing similar things around about the same time. The Sheik being one of them, yeah. yeah. And I think <laughs> Obviously. it's incredibly... Because it was the 50s, nobody can say what... Because not everything was documented. Yeah, I think it's incredibly narrow-minded and self-gratifying to think that you were the first ever one to do that sort of thing. 
You know, I think you've, people have similar t- trails of thought, and I'm sure many different people in different ways were doing similar things at the same time. Like, so for example, Gypsy Joe jumping off the top of the cage. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was the first ever person to think of doing that. You look at a cage and you think, if I jumped off that, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, he was probably just if that if he's the first person that ever did that, he's probably the first person to have the balls to do it. But or or the first person to do it somewhere where it was documented, there was a journalist around, yeah. wrote about it. Whereas or... with Abdullah saying this, that he was the first person to start wrestling properly hardcore. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's a very telltale sign of his arrogance. And I'm not trying to I'm trying to be as neutral as I can here because as we'll get into. His uh, tenure, Abdullah the Butcher, Butcher's later on, the incident with Hannibal that we'll talk about is horrific and it makes me think that he's a prick and I'm trying not to... You're trying to look at it from... I'm trying to be as, neut- as neutral as I can with this. By the way, Ab- Abdullah, the name is of Arabic origins. Um, Egyptian, Persian and Turkish has its roots. Right. Uh, okay, well, he's yeah. an old he's an old school gent. It's a Muslim, uh, it's a Muslim name. It's a Muslim name, right? Okay. Well, to the white promoters in Vancouver, British British Columbia, a brown man was a brown man was a brown man, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Indian is just easier to say for them. Uh, so there's a, there is an interesting story here. Uh, no, it's kind of, it is hardcore in a way because it'll it's relatively illuminating about the ins and outs of the business. Um, but he's talking about when he went to Calgary to wrestle for Stu Hart. Okay. Yeah. We spoke briefly in the last episode a little bit about Canada and Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sort of, I stayed away from Stampede Wrestling at the time just because I knew it was, that, that was like much later on. But I was tempted to go down the rabbit hole and look all into Stampede Wrestling and when mm-hmm. that started and the different things that went on there. Yeah, but, you know, that'd be... So once glad. again, that would be opening a rabbit hole. It's yeah. something that so I'm glad I've read about a lot in, you know, Bret Hart's book and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm glad we're kind of getting into it now. Well, we're, 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 we're getting into an anecdote, a story. Yeah. So, uh, Abby went to go wrestling in, wrestling Calgary for Stu Hart. I'm sorry, I've, it was in either... It was in some point, I think it was... During the mid seventies, I think this was. Sorry, like I say, I've not got dates because he didn't. He didn't specify, but I think it was in the mid seventies. Um, so he's he, he he's he's re- he's wrestling and he's he's thinking, how do I get my heat? How do I get my heat here? Nobody really knows who I am. Uh, I want to do something to get some real heat. And he sees that one of Stu's kids is 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 refing, basically this match. So um, what he decides to do is pick up. Doesn't specify which heart it is, but pick him up. And uh, chuck him head first into a door. Wow! Basically, um, you know this is I can't think this is I think this is after a match, but and obviously with him obviously being one of the heart children, the crowd and everyone goes absolutely batshit. Uh, Ed Whalen, who's somebody who's a, an associate of the Hearts and referee, uh, tries to stab Abdullah with the mic, with the microphone, the house mic. Uh, uh, then Stu Hart comes out, gets on the mic. Uh, calls him a black bastard <laughs> over wow. the house, Mike. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, yeah. And uh, says, I'm going to go and take care of him. And then that's that's the end of the show, basically. But he's legitimately pissed, Stu is. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the stories about Stu Hart is that he, uh, if he gets a hold of you, even if you're just having a normal conversation, yeah, he likes to stretch you. Yeah. yeah. Grab hold of you, twist your arm, you know, put your leg up your ass, you know, <laughs> just put you in pain. Basically, and this is what he was doing. He's he's walking towards Abdullah, and he's getting closer and closer and closer. 
quite interestingly, Abdullah says, uh, he didn't get too close because I always had my shit on me, he says. Do you know what he means by that? It's forks. Actually meant something else. I thought he meant that at first, but he says, I, I always had my shit on me. Um... What he actually meant by that, because Brian Alvarez ask, asks him about this. Oh, sorry, end end of that anecdote. I do apologise. Yeah, being shit at telling anecdotes here is. Um, if you uh, next time you do that, make sure you kill him or something like that. Like the actual anecdote isn't. Particularly, Who said that? Um, Stu did to to Abdullah about to, his child. Yeah. So the anecdote itself isn't particularly interesting, but what I found interesting was Brian Alvarez. He was interviewing Abdullah. Um, asked him about, I always had my shit on me, and then he, he waggles his fingers back and forth, like so. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's emphasising the fingers, and Abdullah kayfabes it, going, I don't know what you're talking about. And he went, you know, fingers. And what do a lot of wrestlers do to get colour? He's got his blades taped into his fingers, hasn't he? Fucking maniac <laughs> old-school wrestlers. Now... Blading, a lot of you probably know, like a lot of people, what basically you take a old school, thin, extremely sharp razor blade, snap off a corner so it's a tiny piece, and then a lot of people would put it under the wrist tape, put it in the trunks. Bret Hart used to carry his in his fucking mouth. In your mouth? <laughs> so basically, you just got a tiny, wrapped in tape, so you've just got a tiny, tiny little piece, but he used to carry it in his fucking mouth. Yeah. A piece of razor blade. What some people, lunatics, would do is they would tape razor blades to the tips of the fingers yeah. and wrestle. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, that's, it? that's crazy as fuck, isn't it? <laughs> How somebody didn't, like, end up slitting a main vein, a carotid or something, and end up fucking dying, I'll never know. And It's fucking crazy, isn't it? Yeah. How was he matched with Abdullah? That motherfucker needs to cut his nails, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but the thing is, because like I said, even though these... In, in inverted commas, shoot interviews are supposed to be, you know, off the record, behind the scenes shit. Yeah. He kayfabes it. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it's almost like it's fake kayfabing, almost. Yeah, can, he's like, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. But, um, yeah, it's just bad acting. And he actually, yeah, like his, 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 his manager who he brings in, who he's, he has sat next to him, actually walks out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's um, these old timers, even though everybody knows what goes on, kind of, yeah, kayfabe it. You know, they yeah, pretend like a... it. But I kind of respect in a way. Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of code behind knowing everyone knows what goes on and then just outright telling people what's going on, isn't there? There is, there is. But unfortunately, us being the smart asses that we are, yeah, and it being 2019, it, it, it kind of... You can't do that anymore, can you, really? No, I mean, you can't... You understand with the old school guys and everyone does know what goes on and knows pretty much everything uh, behind the scenes in terms of a wrestling match these days. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think it's admirable that a lot of old timers still do that because mm. it's like a code of wrestling, and you know this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep the kayfabe alive, and um, I mean now very much kayfabe. I wouldn't say it's dead because I think it's different. It's it's yeah, it's a lot different kayfabe these days. You so, have to be cleverer. You have to be cleverer about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
But um, no, it's really interesting. I think it's fucking nuts that he just have it. There's razor blades, razor blades taped to his fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, grabbing anyone for a headlock or anything like you fucking slice someone's face, tear open. their eyelids off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's what he liked to do to people anyway. So uh, yeah, uh, and he also he also flips out uh, at one point. Um, he asks him, um, "Did." Um, Promoters bring you in just because you're a bleeder, which he didn't like. Yeah. Meaning that all he did was bleed, which what that was, all he did. Yeah, I mean, with Abdullah, <laughs> he's not a, the most talented of wrestlers in the world uh, in terms of athleticism. No. Granted, just... I'm sure he could get a crowd pretty worked up and he was good he at... Was, he, was an, he, was an, he wasn't a wrestler wrestler, he was an act, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a drawer. He was a yeah. drawer in the same way that Andre the Giant was, you know... Yeah, Andre could wrestle though, by all accounts, back in his day. Back in the day, yeah, back yeah. in the day. But like, his draw was that he's a big giant man. Yeah. This guy's draw that is he's a big giant fat man. With bleeding fingers. Who stabs you up. Yeah. The gimmick clearly worked, you know what I mean? People thought he was some kind of evil Sudanese sadist. Yeah, definitely. It is, the gimmick's definitely... I think the gimmick would definitely worked in terms of putting fear in an audience. Yeah, 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 because people were afraid of the the unfamiliar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, to kind of further further push that gimmick, he did all kinds of mad shit, like, like eating raw chicken, catching flies. I've heard that before. He, he used to eat fucking raw chicken. Raw chicken. Ugh. Yeah. How he didn't die of salmonella, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, catching flies out of the air and eating them. Uh, and likes to eat in broken glass and shit like that. Just, so this is that's this is kind of the start of the toilet after him, put it that way. <laughs> the, so this is I think kind of the start of the hardcore gimmick, if you like yeah. it really like this he he he, he was the the character side of, of being nuts, like proper nuts. Yeah, the whole the the character, the character side of it. Yeah, the the character character side of it, as you say. Yeah, they're like the act, if you will, of being a maniac and being, as you know, that word that often props up in the series, being hardcore. Yeah, very much so, very much so. But um, you know, sort of to work up to the story that I'm probably going to tell at the end. Um, but he is relatively well known for obviously taking liberties with people. Yeah, and being being too much. There's a. Good interview, actually. Uh, it's like a short kind of um, two-minute interview with um, with a superstar Billy Graham. Yeah. Who um, kind of Abdullah broke him into the industry, um, wrestling in Toronto, amongst other places. And uh, he tells a story um, about how um, one of the ways he used to um, get colour for himself and other people was he used to say sell a tape a razor blade onto like a, a, a like a lolly stick, a popsicle stick, and cut people with that. And um, there's just there's just, there's a really funny interview, like I say, with um with superstar Billy Graham, where he talks about um I say, I say funny, it's pretty horrific, but just the way that superstar Billy Graham keeps on calling the uh, sort of jobbing wrestler that was cut up. He doesn't call him a wrestler. He just keeps on calling him the Indian. Wow. <laughs> Which is kind of he says he says Indian about fifty times in this interview. Yeah, uh, it's pretty uncomfortable, but kind of, kind of amusing how how out of touch he is. 
I mean, one thing we've learned, at least from this era of wrestling in the 70s and 60s, is that race was quite a... Uh, oh, fuck yeah. ...hot topic. Oh, well, just race in general in America in the 1960s. Yeah. Obviously, it's, that's... It's, uh, you know, that's civil... 60s is civil rights movement, obviously, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's obviously a very tumultuous time in wrestling. Tumultuous. Yeah. Is that a word? Of course it is. Tumultuous. Tumultuous, tumultuous, same thing. Tumultuous ain't a word, mate. Okay, whatever. Tumultuous will go with. Tumultuous time. And I think wrestling has never, ever shied away from bringing sort of uh, social issues into their into their storylines, into their promotions, into what they're selling. No. But I think also the negative side of that is especially now we look at the, like the 60s and you know the 70s that also means that like racism was just an open door for promoters to just be like to just completely flog it and you know they, they because it's a show that they're putting on in a lot of ways I think per, like my own opinion is that they use that as sort of an excuse to just do the most racist and say the most racist things that they could maybe maybe yeah. we're speculated obviously but it certainly seemed that it's way it's speculating I could just say that I don't agree with the the opinions of people of that time in but wrestling it, it, very... obviously they, they, pre- they preyed on people's prejudices you know they, yeah. were, they were always the, the, the foreigner was always the evil foreigner yeah, well, I mean, that still fucking happens now. Less so, but yeah. Less but... so, but yeah, I think particularly in WWE, if we're talking about WWE, still brings that up, you know. But then you've also got people like Ali. Which yeah, they're going, they, they're, they're definitely doing the right thing with Ali. Yeah. You know, he's not like, we're going off topic slightly, but I like going off topic sometimes, it's fun. Yeah. Um, Ali talked a lot about, like, if you watch any of his interviews, and they did the, um, bloody hell, what's the series called on the network, where they do the, behind the, like, bloody, like a spotlight on Is it just called Spotlight? I believe so, yes. Fuck it, let's just say it's called Spotlight, but they do one on Ali, and, and, it, and he says that he never, ever wanted to do the evil Middle Eastern gimmick ever. No. And for the first five years of his career, or whatever, he was, because he's a high flyer and whatnot, he wore a mask. Yes. And... Um, at one point, somebody convinced him to be Prince Mustafa. Yeah. And him for him to be the evil, evil foreigner gimmick. Yeah. And straight away, his bookings went up tenfold straight away. But I remember him saying one day, you know, he did a dive to the outside or whatever. And he saw a young child of about eight years old in the front row. Look at him and put his fists up with and like look at him with real fear and anger in his eyes. And he just said, from that point onwards, I'm never going to play that gimmick because all I'm doing is treating people, teaching people to hate brown people. Yeah, it's essentially... That's essentially what a lot of these promoters were doing. They were just encouraging the, the negative stereotype. Yeah. But Abdullah got a 50-odd year career out of that, so... Yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't know. Is I'm it... not saying it's necessarily a good thing. He was, no. you know... It's not necessarily a good thing, and I think it's definitely a gimmick that wore thin a long time before they actually stopped doing it. But he got he, he carried on getting bookings up until his early seventies. So. Yeah, true. But I think yeah, after a while, you you book him because he's Abdullah the Butcher, not because he's the evil Indian. Because he, then his name becomes synonymous with yeah. who he is and what he used to do and what he did. Mm, yeah, true. But you know that kind of thing is becoming a little bit more a thing of the past. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> anyway, back on topic. Uh, 
ever ever slightly. Um, the um, obviously, sorry, I was halfway through telling an anecdote about fucking superstar Billy Graham, wasn't it? Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, Abdullah the Butcher slices up this uh, in air quotes Indian so badly, you know, with this with this lolly stick, you know, cuts the fuck out of his head, out of his shoulders, out of his neck, and he ends up getting. Um, Getting uh, stretched away, apparently. And uh, as he's getting stretched away, apparently, his $15 payoff that he gets, he um, just kind of they stick it under the towel that he's uh, wrapped up in to soak up all the blood. And Abdullah, all he said, apparently, about that was, you know, he's like, Christ, why did you go so go so hard on this guy? He said, I need to get my heat. That was all he said, I need to get my heat. And he just ended up, this poor lad ended up getting stretched off. Fucking hell. So, yeah, bit of a bit of arse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he, he was all over basically Abdullah, like I said, throughout the sixties and seventies, and right up and, up into the two thousands. Basically, he was wrestling. He, he did a lot of wrestling in uh, Puerto Rico. Would yeah. like to, I'd like to do a bit more of a deep dive on Puerto Rico at, at some point. They very much worked on the um, foreign heel stereotype. It always had to be a local islander from Puerto Rico. Yeah, against. A foreigner. That yeah, was always... we will go into. I mean, after this series, uh, horrible history of hardcore wrestling. Um, we'll probably do. We will do deep dives into certain countries and their origins, mm-hmm. origins of wrestling. Because, as we've discovered, as I'm sure when you're listening, uh, when we've been doing this, we've had to sort of even on decades, sort of like that we've been focusing on. We've had to even sort of close in further and concentrate on maybe one or two wrestlers of the time just because it is so vast. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly vast. We should really have named this a brief history yeah, of Yeah, it's like, and I think with, there's loads of different deep dives we can do on like areas of wrestling, history of countries of wrestling, different mm-hmm. wrestlers that re- got famous in countries other than the US that, you know, Big names in Mexico, Puerto Rico, Japan, all those places. I think there'll be uh, something we like. We shall explore in the future. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to tickle on it slightly because apparently made quite a lot of money. Uh, the World Wrestling Council and uh, Carlos Colon. Um, yes, Carlos Colon, who was the um, you know top star um, of the World Wrestling Council out of Puerto Rico, said eighty percent of the blood he spilled in the ring was because of Abdullah the Butcher. Wow. And if you see him, he's got a head like a cheese grater as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just a little, little tiny one I wanted to tickle on there, but um, kind of want to move away ever so slightly. Talk about some other, some other people, another couple of brothers uh, you may have heard of, the Funk Brothers. Yeah. Who um, you know we all love, we all love Terry Dory Funk. We didn't see as much in. A lot of the wrestling that we watched growing up, obviously. No. You know, Terry Funk was around during ECW and obviously and Attitude Era WF, so like that's why we know who he is. Yeah. And because he's a straight up legend. But I just want to talk talk a little bit about the Funks just for a little bit. Of course. Uh we may as well um we may as well go back slightly and talk about Dory Funk Senior. Yeah. Uh World War Two veteran who owned the Amarillo Territory, obviously their their father. Uh, he actually won the NWA Texas Brass Knuckles title Amarillo version. They had a wet, they had a separate West Texas version of that title. Wow. Which I found very weird, but I suppose <laughs> Texas is very big. Yeah, Texas is fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I find it crazy. They actually had an Amarillo version of the title, which was already a Texas title. They had a separate title for West Texas. Yeah, so this is the Brass Knuckle Championship. The Brass Knuckle Championship that we talk about talked, we about, talked about in the previous episode. In the previous episode. Uh, 
Uh, Dory Funk Sr. won that in uh, 1962. He won the first ever one, which was in 1962. And he won it a second time in 1968 off of Larry the Axe Hennig, who was uh, Mr. Perfect's dad. Ah. Yeah, Larry, Larry, Larry Hennig. Uh, he started promoting uh, in this territory uh, in the mid-60s uh, that he, he wrestled in, uh, basically, since the, since the late 40s. Uh, by then, the uh, brothers Terry and Dory were um, were working. They were wrestling in this territory as well. By then, following in the dad's footsteps, uh, Dory uh, debuted in '63. Terry in nineteen in nineteen sixty five. Uh, in nineteen sixty seven, um, Dory Senior uh, took over the territory entirely, um, bought the uh, shares off the um, other owner's widow after he died, uh, Carl. Uh, Sapolis, known as Doc, uh, and then from then on, he was the sole owner of the company. Um, Dory and Terry, uh, they got pushed to singles, obviously, early on in their career, with their dad owning the territory, that's likely to happen. Um, both won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which obviously was the biggest title in wrestling. Uh, Dory got it in 69, and uh, Terry got it in 75, but... Just before that, in 1973, Dory Sr. died of a heart attack and left the territory to his boys. So yeah. they owned that territory for about 1973 onwards, basically. But, you know, moving slightly on to the more hardcore uh, kind of stuff. Um, in the early 1970s, the Funks developed a working relationship with Giant Barber and All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, they had a talent exchange that took place quite a lot. They had a lot of Japanese wrestlers working in Texas. Uh, Jinky Hero Tenru, uh, Jumbo Saruta. Uh, but they worked quite a lot out in Japan as well. And um, there's a particular match that um, I'll employ everybody to watch, which I watched in research for this. Um, series of matches from 1970, one from 1977, one from 1979. Um, it's the, uh, the Funks, Terry and Dory versus The Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher in Japan. That's got to be a blood fest. It was sick. It's a top match, to be perfectly honest, mate. The match starts um, with, uh, actually, the Funks uh, attacking Abdullah and the Sheik before the bell and, like, um, ripping his headdress off and, whatnot and um, you know, starting to, you know, lay in hard, hard shots, a lot of potatoes, as they call them. They call yeah. it in the industry. Potatoes, if you don't know, is... Uh... Wrestling shot. terminology for a very stiff punch. Yeah, or... just a punch in the face. Yeah, basically, uh, they double team Abdullah and kind of uh, kind of isolate him. Abdullah comes back and uh, pulls out his fork, obviously, and he stabs the shit out of um, out of Terry's arm, like stabs him up to be bleeding fucking really badly um, from his arm. Crazy point. You actually get a hip toss from Abdullah at some point, so he actually does a wrestling move. Jesus. Abdullah busting out all the high-flying All the high-flying hip toss. <laughs> a hip toss. Which, from my knowledge, is mainly taken by the opponent. Opponent. That's the main yeah. athleticism, is the person taking the yeah. hip toss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really funny point in this match, which which cracked me up because he was caught so clearly on camera. Uh, Dory Funk at one point makes uh, the Sheik lose his foreign object that he has. He kind of hits his hand and it flies up in the air and then he catches it. And uh, he's battering them both against the ropes. <laughs> at one point, you actually see the Sheik pull out his razor blade and just start chipping away at his head. Yeah. Which is quite funny. You catch it very blatantly on camera. Just, yeah, this blading thing that happens, like it's supposed to be done discreetly. No, he just whips it out and just starts... Yeah. But some people do it less discreetly than others. Rick, <laughs> Rick Flair, for example, mm -hmm. was never discreet when he bladed. He used to just fucking go on all fours and 
cut the fuck out of his head. Yeah, yeah. Did Did you know that for um, you know the famous WrestleMania 13 match with Austin against Bret Hart? Yeah. Did you know that Austin didn't blade himself in that? Bret bladed Austin. Yeah, Bret bladed Austin. That's in yeah. Bret Hart's book, which if you haven't read, I highly recommend. It is like a fucking encyclopedia, though. Bret, Bret Hart's yeah, book is huge. Like 700 pages or something. Yeah, it, it is huge. It's really, really good, though. Like, really interesting. Um, but, yeah, his book's huge. But in his book, he says that he entrusted that to Bret is to, for Bret to blade him. Who apparently did it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Just Austin had never bladed before that match. Yeah. Would you believe? Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, it's not for everyone cutting yourself. No, <laughs> no. Well, he's a bit, apparently he's a bit of a bit of a germ germaphobe. Apparently, Austin. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, but yeah, yeah. He let just let another man cut him up. Um, um. At one point during this match, Fork, uh, Fork, Funk, Terry Funk uncorked his patented left hand, uh, which does look really good. But I remember in uh, in. In Mick Foley's first book, obviously, uh, Have a Nice Day, uh, where he, he talks about when he first received Funk's famous left hand, and it, he actually felt, as soon as he received it, that it was like he'd been told that Santa Claus wasn't real. What? So basically, it's like it ruined all the mystery. Ah, right, I see. Yeah. So basically, uh, he says to, uh, to Terry, Mick does, um, of course it looks good. You hit me as hard as you could in yeah. the head, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, cactus! All these years, did you just think I was that good?" Yeah, that's <laughs> quite funny. So it looks so good because he's been twatting you as hard as he could in the head with his hand. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this match uh, it ends in um, DQ because the sheik actually ends up stabbing the ref. Of course he does. <laughs> I mean, this is great. This is like. This is a, a we're we're not sort of uh, cherry picking or elaborating on matches or people anymore like we had to in previous episodes to look for the the genesis of hardcore. This is a just out and out hardcore match. I, well, I don't understand. Well, I suppose it is. Is it a? I mean, is it a hardcore? It is hardcore, but they're still kind of hiding the instruments from the. Um referee yeah but they are kind of outright stabbing people <laughs> so yeah yeah it's case it's crazy like we we've we've not really gone too much into the gimmick matches other than the cage matches obviously that we've mentioned but um a lot of blood in this match anyway a lot of foreign objects a lot of stabbing and uh, as they're getting uh, led off uh, the Sheik under, excuse me, Abdullah under like a blanket because like the fans are bit, like trying to kill him. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The Sheik actually throws a fireball at Abdullah as he's walking away when he has a blanket on his back. Safe. Safe, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the hardcore motherfuckers here as well. The fans, they're trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, the fans make this inside this it's it's a shame you don't see i mean it's a shame stroke probably a bit of a blessing that you don't see fans like this anymore um because yeah. like there is some sort of like romanticism about like how into this that fans got mm-hmm. and would you know be baying for blood as we said before it adds mm-hmm. to the whole hardcoreness of the matches it adds to the realism it adds to the whole feel of just how br- brutal everything was the fact that the fans are just so into it 
Mm. Well, like I say, this is this is this match. These series of matches. I saw one from 1977 and one from 1979. So we're kind of you know we're wrapping up the episode here with regards to the you know the eras of the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. Kind of uh, wrapping this up here. Obviously, we just put a bit of a spotlight on, on uh, Abdullah the Butcher and the Funks, and you know we could have talked about this for, for you know for hours and hours, but we just thought we'd spotlight these these particular incidents and these particular feuds. Um, you know, Abdullah worked right through up until you know the two thousands, and was it even the twenty tens as well. He worked up into yeah, I'm fairly certain. Um, but um, you know, we can't really talk about Abdullah without talking about. As we said, the Hannibal incident. Yeah, this is the incident that we spoke about at the very beginning of the show when we started talking about Abdullah the Butcher that I said I was going to try and keep out my mind so I had sort of a, a neutral opinion on him. But I just, I, to be honest, I just couldn't do it. I'd, the Hannibal incident is so horrendous that... And apparently they've put it under the bridge now and sort of buried the hatchet around it. No, no, they've not. No, oh, have they not? No, I no, thought they, they had. No, 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 not buried the hatchet. Not buried the hatchet, but... Bloody hell. And it's just such a horrific thing that happened. Nick, would you like to explain? Uh, okay, go on. I was just going to get up um, the, the dates exactly, but it was in 2007. Uh, there was a match with uh, Devin Nicholson, uh, Hannibal. Uh, it was a wrestler who was getting a hell of a lot of buzz out, out of Canada. Uh, and he had a match with Abdullah the Butcher, a cage match, hardcore match. And uh, during this match, as was his way, you know, he carried his razor blades. And uh, without um, without permission. Uh, permission, without the permission from from Hannibal, uh, basically Abdullah starts uh, cutting him with this uh, with this razor blade that he'd already used on himself and got his own blood onto. So basically, he's got his blood on this razor blade, which he then cuts another man with without his consent. Later on, I think it's about a year later or so, Hannibal getting the you know, he's had the buzz that he's had. He's doing really, really well in the independent scene. Gets a trial with the WWE. Uh, they think he's amazing. Uh, Pat Patterson says he was the best person in that camp. And he's getting offered a contract subject to passing a medical. Surprise, surprise, he fails this medical. And why does he fail this medical? Because he tests positive for hepatitis C. Yeah. Which he got from the Butcher's razor blade. Yeah, and... The fact that he bladed him without permission is probably is one of the worst parts of this, because as we talked about very briefly before, um, in Bret Hart Stone Cold match, Bret Hart blades uh, Steve Austin, but that is with express permission. Mm-hmm. That is like something that they trusted in each other to do. Uh, Steve Austin obviously trusts Bret, trusts Bret Hart a lot to be able to do that and pull it off. So to do that without someone's consent is firstly like really, really bad. And then to do that with a blade that you've already used on yourself, which somewhat new, if you've got hepatitis C, I mean, I'm pretty sure you know that you've got it. Exactly. He must, he must, he must have known. He must have known. Yeah. It's it's just just, uh, horrible. So careless and grim. Horrible thing to do. But um, basically um, Hannibal then filed um, obviously a lawsuit against him. Which he won, uh, and I'm just trying to find what what he won. But basically, it was somewhere in the it was somewhere in the ballpark of uh, won something like two hundred and fifty thousand in damages, and you know upwards of I think it was upwards everything combined. It was upwards of a million or nearly two. Yeah, um, I think he I think he won that in 2011. To this day, he has not received a penny. 
That doesn't surprise And Abdullah the Butcher is 78 years old. Yeah. He's going to he's gonna fucking die soon anyway. Yeah. And to this day, basically, he's had, during the legal proceedings, he had time to close all his businesses down and liquidate his assets, basically. Yeah. So he doesn't have to pay. So he's not, to this day, um, Hannibal, uh, he's do, Hannibal's actually doing really well um, um, doing YouTube interviews and stuff like that at the moment. Mm. He's like, he's, he's, the, he's the name, in, well, he's one of the top names in Canada when it comes to that kind of thing. And he has his own YouTube channel, which is really good, actually. Yeah. Got some really big names on there. But um, yeah, he's still got hep C. Yeah. And he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life, I think. I don't think it's curable, hepatitis. Uh, no, you take medication it for it. But... Manageable, but not curable. Yep. Yeah, so horrible bastard in the end, Abdullah the Butcher. Gave um, a man hepatitis. Yeah, and I think you can, obviously you can call him a hardcore legend, but his name is always tainted for that last yeah. incident um, that happened later on because of what he did to someone mm-hmm. like that. That's fucking horrible. And the fact that he's not paid a penny is just disgraceful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's not owned up to his mistake. Um, which has changed someone's life forever, is you know just quite disgusting, really. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so quite a sad note to end the episode on, I think. But we'll be getting positive because next time, well, oh, well, so it's what well, we'd have some nice uplifting hardcore wrestling on the next. Yeah, because we? we're going to get into the eighties. This is where the first time hardcore was coined as a phrase. I want to see your research on that. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> it's all going to be there. Uh, but yeah, before we go though, uh, if you're huge wrestling fans like us, uh, maybe you're sat on WrestleMania chairs from WrestleMania 2015, 15, 31. Uh, maybe you're such a wrestling fan that you have a circa 99 Chris Jericho frosted signed pint glass, or maybe even some Hardy Boys circa 2000 and Trish Stratus circa 2000, I'd say as well, mugs. These are all my wife's, show. by the way. Yes. <laughs> no, the, the chairs are ours, uh, but yeah, those are all Steph's vintage from, yeah, 99 Chris Jericho so he the says, glass. So he says, but clearly I would call Nick a huge mark here. Chris Jericho looks pretty, he was back when he, he looked pretty hot back then, didn't he? Yeah, he's got some bangs on him. <laughs> uh, but maybe if you're that big a wrestling fan like we are, clearly, uh, you, <laughs> you want to check out 24wrestling.com. Um, it is an incredible source for your wrestling news. They update articles daily, multiple times a day usually, always up to date. Always an interesting, funny take on things. Also, if you're on there and you check out their podcast section, you can find us there as well as a lot of other great wrestling podcasts. Also, if you are a wrestling podcaster or you just really, really like wrestling podcasts, Nick and I have started a network called the World Wrestling Podcasting Network. You can find that as a group on Facebook. That's a great place to catch up with some wrestling podcasts. Share your podcasts if you're a podcaster. And uh, just generally talk to a load of other nerds about wrestling. Uh, great That's place what there. Like to do. With our podcasts available through Anchor, obviously it's also available through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as some others, Breaker and things like that. And also always check out the Aaron Meta Network. All of our very old shows are on there, so you can go back to listening to mine and Nick's first shows. And Aaron also has a great series of podcasts, usually about Pixar and politics and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm really enjoying this delve into hardcore wrestling. I've, I I love hardcore wrestling a lot. Um, it's because you're a grim bastard. It is. It's because I'm a grim bastard. I usually I get pissed and like to watch people bleed. 
uh, you know, it says a lot, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm enjoying this dive into it. And next time it's going to be my turn to take the lead okay. and research and we're going to be into the 80s. Yeah. I'm going to hold myself back from getting into the 90s, even though I really want to so badly. I will leave We have that. a lot to talk about when it comes to the, to the 90s because that's when it yeah. really went to another level. Yeah, I will leave that for you because there is also plenty to talk about in the 80s. But we can both do some researching on that one if you like, mate. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, don't make, don't make me watch hardcore wrestling matches from the 90s. <laughs> you bastard, that sounds right. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's been great. This is the Fabulous Heel Nerds Wrestling Podcast with our new series, Horrible History. We will see you next time.